Okay, well, I am so excited about the opportunity to get to open up uh, with our very first session for Lit 2023. And if you have a Bible, I'd like to ask you to go ahead and put it up in the air just so I can see how many Bibles we have here. If you don't have your own Bible, you might have a pew Bible in front of you, and so you can grab one of those. Don't take it home. You can leave it with you, leave it here. But uh, I want you to make sure that as we are spending time together in the Word of God, that you're actually taking the Bible, opening it up, and looking at the words for yourself so that you can see straight from the Scriptures what we have there. This, this Saturday, all day, we're going to be focusing on a very important theme, and that theme is learning from the past. Learning from the past. How many of you like history? Any, any history people? Okay, I know my son, he's like, I love history. My other son, Nathaniel, he really loves history. One of the things that I love about history is that history is not studying what could happen. History is studying what did happen. And what's really neat about history is sometimes when you read history, you go, there's no way that could have happened. Yet as you go back and you read the accounts of people that saw it, that experienced, that lived through that period of time, it's amazing to see the things that have happened. But you know what's really amazing about history? History is not just the story of names and dates and events. History is the story of how God worked behind the scenes and the lives of people, some people who didn't believe in him, who didn't worship him, who didn't love him, he still worked through their lives. And then there's the story of people who served the Lord and walked with God, and they stumbled many, many times. Yet, you know what God did? He continued to work in their lives. He continued to love them. He continued to be faithful in their lives, even when they stumbled and were not faithful to him. And so, this morning and then into the afternoon, all of our time is going to be spent thinking about that topic of God's faithfulness throughout all of human history. The first passage we're going to look at this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6 together. Here's what the Word of God says. Now, faith is the substance of things that are hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying by his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this, this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let me say that again. Let me read that again. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, 
and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless this time to help us to understand his word and that as we understand the word of God, the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer in this room, the Holy Spirit will take the word and he'll press it on our hearts. And as we hear it and as we read it and as we think about it, the Holy Spirit will take the word and just drive it into our hearts and we'll know exactly how we need to respond and our hearts will be tender enough that that's what we'll do. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. And as I pray, I want to ask you to pray with me the way that we ask the Lord to work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful event. I thank you for those who over many, many years have worked so that we could continue to have this wonderful time together as churches, as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, this morning as the word of God is opened, I pray that the Holy Spirit will take the word and impress it on our hearts. Where we do not understand what the word of God is saying, I pray that it would be presented so clearly and so simply and so practically that no one in this room would walk away having a misunderstanding of what it says. And as we understand what it says, I pray that the Holy Spirit will take the word and awaken our conscience if we need to be convicted. And he would comfort our souls if we are anxious and we are worried and we are fearful. He will embolden us if we are, he are hesitant about the things that we will talk about this morning. And Father, I pray that every single person in this room, not just our young people, but also those who brought them, those who are here presenting for schools and camps, I pray every one of us would walk away from this place having our lives being built a little bit more firmly on the foundation of the word of God. We ask it all in Christ's name, amen. Now, this morning in our, in our session, I'm only gonna answer three questions, okay? Three questions. And so I think that you can remember these three questions. And not only are we only gonna answer three questions, but the questions are already in this book in front of us, all right? This is great. So don't skip ahead. Just look at one question at a time. And I want to encourage you, perhaps take some time to write notes in these books so that you can go back and you can remind yourself of what's there. I also want to say this. We have people that are watching today through the live stream. I have no idea how many, but there are some watching on Facebook, some on YouTube, some on our church's uh, website, okay, anchorbaptistonline.org. And then after the conference, the, all the sessions will be on those various places. So you may say, man, I couldn't keep up. I didn't write anything. I can't read what I wrote. That would be me, okay? <laughs> I can't read what I wrote. And uh, you can go back and you can watch the sessions or you can listen on sermon audio and that will allow you to be able to kind of absorb all the things that we're talking about. All right, the first question that we're going to answer this morning is such a simple question, okay? If you have a dictionary, you could answer it. Some of you go, I got Google and I can see what Google has to say about it. No, don't, don't do that. Keep your phone in your pocket. Actually, don't bring out your phone. Here's the question. What is faith? Someone goes, oh, that's a friend of mine. That's the name of my church, Faith Baptist Church. No, 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 don't answer it that way. What is faith? How would you define faith? If you were, if you were, 
one of those guys in the olden back days who used to work on dictionaries, what would be your definition? You ever tried to, I mean, we talk about faith. We say we're supposed to live by faith, walk by faith. We talk about trusting Jesus as our Savior. That is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What is faith? Can somebody raise your hand and give me a, I hope, a really good sound definition of faith? All right, right there in the back. You got to say it loud enough that everybody here can hear you. Your belief in something, okay? All right. Go ahead. Your belief in the Lord, okay. Right there. My son, go ahead. Okay, all right. Anybody else right here? Dependent. Dependent, oh, that's a good word. I like that word. A dependence on something. Okay, anybody else want to add to these definitions? Okay, all right. So one of the things that I've seen in common with these is that one of the words that's used often is your. Your. You know what your means? It means it's personal. It's mine, okay? And then we have the idea of trusting something, depending on something. You can't see it. So, you know, if, if the Bible talks about faith as something that you can't please God without it, I think we better know what it is. And we better make sure that our understanding, in fact, it aligns with what the Bible teaches. If I say I hold to something, but what I'm holding on to is not actually the thing, guess what? I'm deceived. It's very, very important. So to help us understand what faith is, I need two people that are not afraid to be embarrassed a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit, all right? Oh, Jackson, come on up here, man. All right, what's your name? Lucas, come on up here. Jackson, Lucas, all right. Lucas, stand right here. Jackson, stand right here. Now, I have a couple of things that I'm gonna use, so... Anybody know what this is? You like the color? Do you like, do you like this chair's color? I think it's lovely. I really like the color of this chair. All right, well, this chair has some history behind it. You know what that history is? It's been here for 50 years. Bet you didn't know that. All right. So when this church was first built, the building... Not this one right here, but the one down there. This is one of the chairs in the original building right here. So I'm excited about this. I want to ask you guys, do you think that that's a pretty strong chair? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of old. But you think it's strong? Yeah. Jackson, you think it's pretty strong? What do you think? Huh? Oh, I'm not going to ask you to sit in it. I'm going to ask you to jump on it. All right, who wants to do it first? Uh, do you want to see somebody else do it first, just to make sure? No, I'm not. I, I want to embarrass myself. Sorry. All right, go ahead, man. Woo! I'm glad you jumped that high. All right, come on down. Luke, you want to do it? Do you need a little run jump? All right, come on down. All right, pretty solid right here, man. All right, it's got four legs. It's pretty strong. What we have just seen is that. Faith in the chair works, all right? Now, 
You might not know this, but I'm from a family of engineers. My dad's an engineer. My granddad's an engineer. My uncles, they're engineers. My brother was uh, going to be an engineer. Now he's not. He's in the army, so. Anyway, all right. I, uh, I'm not an engineer, but I designed something really cool right here. You guys see that right there? That's a bucket that we were using to clean the church. We won't be doing that anymore. All right. So I noticed that this chair, really old chair, has how many legs? Four. Whew, I'm glad you didn't hear any threes out there. All right. This bucket has legs too. And in fact, it has five legs. Five, five very sturdy legs right here. All right. So I just, I wanted to make sure, since this has four legs, I thought I want my bucket to be stronger than the chair. So I have five legs on the chair. All right. Anybody know where this is going? It's about to go into trash. All right. Jackson, I want to see you jump up on that, on that bucket. And uh, you, you trust it? You don't trust it? Okay, what, rather than jumping on it, why don't you just step on it and see what happens? Yeah, let's see. How, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. How many of you think that the chair, uh, which only has four legs and has held him up, that the bucket could hold him up with five legs? Anybody, anybody think that could happen? <laughs> it's not stealing force. I'm just going to let you know. All right, well, I, I, before you stand on this, I want you to just... Envision in your mind that it is strong and it will hold you. And, uh, and then let's see what happens. He believes. Do you believe that this will hold you? No. Oh, come on. Do you believe it? Do you believe it, Ken? Yeah. Well, you're, you're smaller than him. So, all right. He believes it. All right. So go ahead. Step up there on that chair uh, bucket. And, oh, well, well, are you okay? Are you okay? Let's just say that. Uh, Oh man, I haven't even put weight on the thing yet. It's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's not. It's you, you, you broke my bucket. <laughs> hey guys, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You can sit down. Okay. Question. Lucas was willing to give it a shot. All right, he was willing to. Step on that thing, but it, uh, it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Was the problem with Lucas's faith? What was the problem? The bucket wasn't strong. The substance of the bucket isn't strong. The substance of the chair, it is. This is metal. In fact, since it was, you know, created back in the 70s, it's probably the real deal, man. This thing's pretty legit right here. All right? This right here, it's just plastic. In fact, if the sides weren't cut out and it, and it was just one solid thing, he could have stood on it, it wouldn't have been a problem at all. But because of the way it's designed, couldn't do it. Now, this is very important. We need to understand something about faith. Faith is not just something I feel in my heart. Okay, faith is something that has real substance to it. It's very, very important. So there are three words we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna try to remember as we talk about what faith is. The first word is the word substance. Can you say the word substance? Substance. Let's hear it again. 
What's again? Substance. Substance, all right? Substance is what makes a thing what it is, all right? So when we talk about metal, the substance of metal is it's the quality of what makes it metal. When we talk about wood, it's the quality that makes it wood. When we talk about faith, faith has substance. It has an object. It is built on something factual, okay? So faith in a chair is built on the substance of the chair and faith in the bucket. It's built on the substance of the bucket, The faith could be just as strong in the chair as in the bucket. And guess what? Because the bucket does not have the strength, it doesn't matter. Okay? What makes faith have value is the object. It's not how strongly we believe something. It's not how strongly we feel something. It has to be built on something that is true in order for it to actually matter. Substance. Faith has an object. Faith is built on facts. And this is amazing. A lot of people think in their minds, you know, the Christian faith is just a leap into the darkness. I feel this way and so I know it's got to be true. That's not the way the Christian faith is built. You realize when we talk about Jesus coming and dying for our sins, do you realize for thousands of years of human history, God gave, starting with Moses in Genesis, all the way to the book of Malachi, all these prophecies that said, this is what God is going to do. This is who the Savior is going to be. And so if you had lived at the time of Christ, you could have actually gone, oh, look, It said he'd be born in Bethlehem. Check. It said that he would be born, uh, conceived by a virgin. Check. It said that he would go down into Egypt. Check. And you just go through all of these things. Things that he said. Things that he did. His actual person. And you go, check, check, check. Why is that? Well, because God calls us to believe on something that's built on real facts. The Christian faith is built on facts. The Bible is a book that is full of history. God's promises to people and the fulfillment of those promises. So what's the first word? Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Substance. Faith has an object. Faith is built on something that has material. Second, the word evidence. Let's hear What is it? little weak. What is it? All right, very good. So we have substance and we have evidence. The choice to trust God is a reasonable choice based on the evidence. It's a reasonable choice based on the evidence. I will tell you that it takes more faith to believe there's no God than that there is one. You say, well, you can't see him, so it would take more faith to believe that he exists and that he doesn't exist. And I ask you, uh, we were talking in the car with uh, Max and Joel. They were talking about uh, programming a game and they were talking about how you can take code and it's kind of like a language and it, it, you know, it, it basically you can create a game. And so the one young man's talking to the other young man, he's talking about how this works. Does anybody in this room believe that a game, this is not like real life, this is a game that you play that it create itself? Uh, no, does not work that way. 
It takes teams, it takes years, it takes a lot of thinking and a lot of, a lot of work to create a game that we waste our time on. Truthfully, we waste our time on it. A game. So it takes more faith to believe that the world can create itself than that somebody made it. Somebody who is wise and someone who is all-powerful. Someone who is without beginning and end, the eternal God created all things. But what I love about the scriptures is that God gives so many reasons for us to believe what he says. And so when a person says, hey, I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior, you know why they do that? They do that because when they read what the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, they go, okay, yeah, I do that. Yeah, my brother does that. My sister does that. My mom does that. My dad does that. Every person I've ever known does that. And all of a sudden, they start reading what the Bible says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. There's consequences. Why do we want justice? Because there's a sense inside of us that says we need it. And all of a sudden, as they start hearing what the Bible says, the Holy Spirit of God takes the word of God and he convicts them and convicts them and convicts them and convicts them. And all of a sudden, in their heart, they say, I need to accept this. I need to believe this. I need to trust in this. God convinces them this is true, convinces them they need it, and convinces them to embrace it. And so when we talk about faith, faith has substance, it has an object. Faith is based on evidence. It is a choice that we make that is based on the reasonable case that is presented before us. And the third word is the word hope. Now, when we use the word hope, the way that we use it can be a bit confusing. And so I want to give this illustration. Let's say that you have a person who has no job. That would be a lot of us in here, right? Not us. I have a job. But a lot of you in here don't have jobs. Okay. No job. No money. No car. All right. And let's say that this person also is typically not very honest in the things that they say they're going to do. Question. If they promise you that they're going to employ you and pay you. Would you believe them? Would you? No. That, 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 you probably wouldn't. Why wouldn't you believe that? They don't have any money. They don't have any job. They don't have any car. They have, there's no basis for you to believe that, in fact, what they're saying is true. Let's say you have another person who has uh, owned a business in your church for the last 30 years of their life. And they've employed your brother, your sister, kids that work with, uh, go to school with you or in the youth group with you. And, and you know all these people who have worked in their business over the last 20, 30 years. And they say, would you like a summer job? You say, yes, I would. What are the terms? Well, if, you work, uh, if, you, if you're willing to work, I'll give you this many hours a week. This is when you will start. This is when you will close. This is what you'll be doing. Hey, what do I get paid? I'm coming. This is what you get paid. They ne your brother never missed a paycheck. Your sister never missed a paycheck. Your closest friend never missed a paycheck. They have been responsible and consistent and honest and followed through with their commitments every single time you've ever heard. Okay? And they say, would you like to start on Monday? And you say, yes, I do. 
All right, I'll see you on Monday. When you go home, are you excited you have a job? Or are you kind of going, oh, I don't know if I really have a job. You're excited. Why? Well, because there's no reason to believe that this person's dishonest. There's no reason to believe that this person would not follow through with their commitment. There's no reason to believe this person wouldn't pay you. You see, really what it comes down to is the confidence level you have is dependent on how trustworthy, reliable the person is that made the promise. And so when when the Bible uses the word hope, the idea is this. You have to be vulnerable when you exercise faith. But that vulnerability is based on the confidence of the one that you're trusting in. And so we have substance, evidence, and hope. We know that faith starts with facts. And those facts present a case. And we can become convinced by the case, but then comes down to the final point. We have to make a choice. We have to take a step. We have to sit in the chair. We have to step on the bucket. Okay? And so that's what he means when he says faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. (laughs) Faith involves something objective. It is based on evidence and it involves a decision. The second question that I have this morning is this. What are the pillars upon which faith rests? Now, when we're talking about God and what he tells us we need to do, walking by faith, living by faith, what are the pillars that are to give us the confidence that, in fact, we should trust God? In the same way that, we'll throw this one out because obviously it's not sound, but we have this one. We have these four legs, okay? Each of these legs is supporting the chair. If I cut one of the legs off, guess what happens? It falls over. If I remove two of them, it falls over even more. If I only have one, then it's not going to work. Each of these legs matters. And so I want to mention three pillars or three pieces that support faith in God. Faith in Christ. If we're talking about the issue of salvation, it would apply here. If we're talking about the issue of obedience to God and walking with God and the choices we make, the same thing is true. Okay? So pillar number one is this. The character of God. Now here's my question. Is God good or is God evil? If you believe that God is good, guess what? You could trust him. If you believe that God's evil, guess what? You won't trust him. Is God wise or is God unwise? If you believe that he is wise, guess what? You will trust him. If you believe that he's unwise, you know what? You won't trust him. Is God sovereign? What I mean by sovereign is not that we're all robots, but I mean that God takes what's going on in the world and he uses it to accomplish good. Or does God just leave us alone and everything that happens, happens and life's tough. Sometimes things don't work out. In other words, does God really use the events of life for good? Or is God just leaving us to be abandoned on our own? Well, whichever you believe is going to determine whether or not you're going to trust God or not. When times are very difficult and times are very harsh, either you're going to say, you know what? I believe that God can use this as bad as it is to accomplish good, and so I'm going to trust him so he does that in my life. You might say, I distrust God. I'm angry at God. I hate God. I don't want to think about God. I'm going to pretend like he doesn't exist. 
You can take one of those two choices. What we believe about the character of God matters. A lot of young people, and not just young people, older people, do not trust God because they do not really have a correct view of his character. Listen to what it says in Psalm 100, verse number 5. It says, The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. Let me read again. The Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Now, when we say that God is good, that's what the Bible's saying, it means that, that his character, his nature, what makes God God is good in every single, on every single level. Not, not kind of good or a little bit good, partially good. He is entirely good. If God is entirely good, do you think he does evil things? No. Because that would be inconsistent with his nature. And then it says his mercy is everlasting. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when you see someone in their misery. Instead of you going, I got no time for people like that. Which is what some of us do. Go into Baltimore and you see somebody laying on the street. They're all hung over. Just laying there. They're, they're OD'd and they're just laying in a gutter. There's a lot of people. They don't want to get around somebody like that. They have no compassion for them. God's not like that. His mercy is everlasting. When God sees a person in their misery, you know what his heart toward them is? It's one of compassion. I mean, he is pure and holy and righteous and just, yet when he looks at us in our misery and our sin, he has compassion on us. Well, if you believe that, that really shapes whether or not you'll trust God. And his truth endureth to all generations. What is true starts with God. And so God's character is the first pillar. If our view of God is wrong, it would be like taking this chair and we cut off this and we just sit there and we're like, all right, go ahead and sit in the chair. Guess what happens? Boom, it falls over. That first pillar really matters. Second pillar is this. The promise of God. In Malachi 3 verse 6 it says, I am the Lord, I change not. And now the next statement is one that a lot of times people do not mention when they mention this verse, but it's actually really important. It says, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. You say, what's God saying there? This is what God's saying there. Now if you know anything about Israel's history, you'll know that as a nation... They were generally disobedient to God. I mean, one generation after another generation, after another, after another, after another. The nation of Israel throughout its history was more against God than for God. I'll put it that way. Very unfaithful. Constantly going into idolatry. But God made promises to those people. Starting with Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob. And then we continue all throughout the Bible. And guess what we find out? God made promises that he was going to make of Abraham a great nation. He was going to bless those who blessed him and curse those who cursed him. And through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he made those promises to those people. And guess what? When Israel went out as far to the left as you could imagine, this would be left for me, left for you, okay? They went as far away from God as you can imagine. You know what God did? He drew them back. And then they do it again, and he, he draws them back. 
And they do it again, and he, he draws them back. And they do it again, and he draws them back. And they do it again, and he draws them back. You say, why? Why does he just get tired of them? Say, I'm done with you. He made promises. He made promises. He says, I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. If God made a promise, then he's bound by his word. And that's very important for us to understand. So it's not just the character of God. Boom, right here. It's the promise of God. Okay, if God is good, but he never made any promises to us, then well, we know he's good, but it's like our life doesn't interact with God, does it? Instead, he gets personal in our lives. He makes these promises to us. And he says, this is true, and I'm going to do it no matter what. But here's the problem. A lot of us don't read our Bibles enough to know what these promises are. A lot of times when we come across these promises, we just we continue on. We don't think about them. We don't reflect on them. We don't meditate on them. We're unaware of them. We distrust them. You know what one of the most precious promises in all the word of God is? I think of John 10. John 10, it says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father who gave them to me is greater than all and no one can pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. What does that mean? That means that if you're a Christian, God keeps you. You're kept by the power of God. In Romans 8, it says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is one of the most precious and most practical promises in all the Bible. Because you know, there are days that we wake up, we don't feel like Christians. Say, so what's a Christian supposed to feel like? Well, we wake up days thinking that whatever it is, we don't feel like it. <laughs> it's true. We say, the way that I'm thinking, there's no way I'm a Christian. The thing that I did, there's no way I'm a Christian. And you know what Satan does? He takes those things and he plants them in our minds and he just, he bombards us with doubts and doubts and doubts and doubts. But you know what? God doesn't go, well, the way you feel is now the way I feel. He doesn't do that. He keeps us. That never is going to change. That is a rock that we could stand on that gives us stability. I love this statement in Hebrews 11, verse 11. It says, through faith also Sarah conceived and was delivered of a child when she was past age. And this is the statement that really I love. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Did you catch that? Because she counted him faithful who promised. So it's not just the character of God, but it's also the promises of God. And my question to you is, do you know God's most precious promises? Do you know them or have you neglected the word of God and you really don't know them? A promise is not just something you feel in your heart. It's written down in the word. You go back to it. You can read it again and again and again. When I feel like really strongly compelled by that promise, guess what? I feel good about it. And when I don't, I go and I read it it's just as true in black and white when I feel it's true and when I don't feel it's true. When I'm shaken and when I'm strong, it's the same. And that is so important. Third pillar, 
The testimonies of God's faithfulness to his word. All right, I want to try to, like, let's remember these. So the first pillar was God's character. What is it? All right, see, this is the reason why we have to go back and review. What's the first pillar? God's character. character. Second pillar, I'm going to say it, (laughs) is God's promises. What is it? So first pillar is what? Second promise is what? God's character, God's promises. God's character, God's promises. The third is God's testimonies. What is it? All right, so here's what I'm going to do. It's God's what? Character, God's what? And God's what? All right, let's try it again. God's what? God's what? And his what? What's a testimony? On Sunday nights, we have, uh, we have testimony time. And then, of course, after that, we, we, we pick favorites from our hymn books. So, you know, blow through the testimony time, and then it's all the favorites, right? Well, what is a testimony? A testimony isn't just a story about us. Actually, we, we say it's not supposed to be a story about us. We're a part of it in some way, but it's really not about us. A testimony is a story about God. It's about what he did in our life. It's what he taught us in our life. To put it in another way, if we were to go into a court of law, and on one side you have a person who brings an accusation. They say, you did this. Okay? And then the judge says, well, do you plead innocent or guilty? And you say, well, of course I'm, I'm innocent. Okay. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to call witnesses. And some witnesses are going to plead your innocence by what they say. And some witnesses are going to plead your guilt by what they say. So you want people to come and testify to your innocence. And whoever has brought accusation is trying to testify to your guilt. They're trying to prove that, in fact, you did do what they charge you of doing. And so in a court of law, you determine the case based on the evidence. Testimonies are evidence. The Bible is a book full of the testimonies of God. Testimonies of God creating the world. The testimonies of God creating Adam and Eve and planting them in the Garden of Eden. The testimonies of when Adam sinned and sin entered the world, how God pursued Adam and he was gracious toward Adam. And then we read all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the Gospels and all throughout the New Testament, we read the testimonies of God that tell us how he works, how he worked in Esther's life, how he worked in Sarah's life, how he worked in Abraham's life, how he worked in Noah's life, how he worked in Gideon's life, how he worked in Moses' life. You go through all these stories. They're not just stories. We go, that's really neat. No, they're the testimonies of God. They're the cases of the evidence of God's faithfulness to his word. He says he's good. He made these promises. Here's how it worked in people's lives. That's what the testimonies of God are. In fact, we, as we live throughout our Christian life, we we experience God's work in our lives. And we can provide testimonies. Maybe your mom and dad, if if you've grown up in a Christian home where your parents love the Lord and they're trying to teach you what is right and show you how to walk with God, they will tell you stories from their life 
that are going to tell you about how God has been faithful, how God has been good, how God has been kind, talking of his grace, talking of his works. That's what they do. Your pastor gets up and he does the same thing, hopefully. You, you pick up a book. We have books in our bookstore. And this year we're kind of highlighting more like biographies and that kind of a thing. And you pick up that biography and you read the story of Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, William Tyndale. And you, you read the stories of these people's lives. John Payton. You want to talk about a really neat story. You read the stories of their life and what you see, you see their failures and you see the lessons they learn and God's faithfulness and God's kindness and God's goodness. And if this is a spiritually minded person who has lived and walked with God, then what they will write in those books is God's faithfulness again and again and again and again and again. But it's not just our lives and our parents' lives and people that we read about in history. It's the Bible itself. Hebrews 11 is a hall not so much of heroes as much as testimonies, witnesses. God is faithful. I mean, did Moses ever stumble? Yeah, he sure did. When God said, you know, go back to Egypt and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go, he said, forget it. I'm not doing that. I mean, he didn't put it quite that way. <laughs> Several times he says, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't speak. He, he gives all these all these reasons why he can't do it. Gideon, Gideon is there. And what happens with Gideon? He, he gives all these excuses. I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then God says, you're gonna do it. And then he's like, well, let me, let's do this fleece thing. And okay, that worked and let's try it again. And he did not trust God throughout much of that story. The vast majority of cases we read about in Hebrews 11 are people that they had terrible blots in their lifetime. Yet God was faithful. And at those key moments where they were down and broken, God comes alongside, he pulls them to himself, and he says, I'm still here, and I'm still working in your life. The testimonies of the Lord. God's faithfulness gives us visible evidence that what he says is true. I love Psalm 19:7. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. Sure. You know what that means? They're sound, they're steadfast, they're reliable. They're not, they're not just stories that might be true or partially, no, they're sound. They're reliable, we can trust them. And the simple, the person who has no experience in life, they read the testimonies of God and they become wise. They become wise. Second Peter chapter two, he talks about how God worked in Noah's time. He talks about what he did with Sodom and Gomorrah. He talks about how he delivered Lot. He goes and gives all these examples. Why does he do that? To say, God is good, God promises, and he follows through. The third and final question is this. What does it look like to walk by faith? What does it look like to walk by faith? If you really want to answer it very simply, just read Hebrews chapter 11 and you'll see what it looks like. Some of those people, God said, you need to leave your home country and I'm going to give you the land that you will find out after you've left. Okay, well, wait a minute, what? Can I see the land first? No, just leave your family, leave your home country and go to the land that I'm going to give you. Say, I don't know about that. Some of them are examples like Moses at the Red Sea. 
And you know what God did? He had the people walk through on dry ground. Some of them are examples of people who had family members who had been very sick and ill and they were healed. There are also examples and there are people who actually died martyrs' deaths. In other words, the way that walking by faith looks is going to be different on the surface in every life. Because your story is different. Your family's different. What God's going to call you to do in life is different. Who you marry, how many children you have, if you have children, how long you live, how healthy you are. All kinds of different things are going to be different in your lives. But under the surface, what's actually at the root of walking by faith is the, the same basic fundamental thing. Knowing God, knowing what he says, and walking like you actually believe it. That's going to shape who you marry. That's going to shape how many children you want to have. That's going to shape what you want to do with your life. That's going to shape the kind of jobs you'll take or won't take. That's going to shape the kind of church that you attend, or even if you attend church at all. That's going to shape everything about your life. That's going to shape how you vote. That's going to shape how you think about those who are in authority. That's going to shape how you pray for people. The simple fact is walking by faith looks different in every single life on the surface. But at the root, it was the same. Knowing God, knowing what he says, and living like you actually believe it's true. That's what walking by faith is. Walking by faith for you today is when your mother for a homeschool young person says, you need to go do your work. You say, yes, ma'am. And you sit down and you get it done. That's walking by faith. Yeah, it is, because that's your job. Or walking by faith might be your dad walks in the room, your mom walks in the room and says, you need to be ready in 45 minutes. And instead of rolling over, okay, you get up, you get ready, you do what you're supposed to do. Sunday morning, you actually bring your Bible to church. You sit down, you open it up when the sermon is, is being preached. Or you're sitting in Sunday school. When you're asked a question, you just speak the truth. Even if it might mean you're going to look a little bit bad because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. You just you, you fess up, you say what, what it is, and you, you move forward. Walking by faith is a very simple thing. But over the course of our lifetime, walking by faith is taking you somewhere. Right now, you don't know where that is. Someday you will. You'll, you'll realize it because you look back. And there's enough time that has gone by in your life that you see <clears throat> where you were, where you've been, where you're going. And so our challenge this morning in our very first session is a very simple one. God wants us to walk by faith in our ordinary lives. He wants us to purpose to know him more fully. Because you will not trust a God that you don't know. And you will not trust a God that what you believe about him is not who he is. And God wants you to purpose to get into the word every day because the way you know God is not by sitting on a rock behind your house and going, I wonder what God's like. Or listening to what everybody else has to say about God. Well, you read what he says. You read the word. You let the word speak for itself. You meditate on it. You think about it. You reflect on what you're reading in the Bible. It involves walking by faith. Just a moment, we're going to close for prayer. And then after that, we're going to kind of break up into 
uh, discussion sections. And what, what I mean by that is, whoever brought the teens, I want you to lead the discussion with your young people about what we talked about. Ask them what is faith. What are the pillars that faith is built upon? What are some practical ways that we can walk by faith as a 13-year-old, as a 15-year-old, as a 17-year-old? What are some areas that we can pray for one another in as it relates to this issue? What are some things we can purpose to do? That's what I want us to do during this next little section before we go to our next point. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father, thank you for the word of God. So simple and practical. And it's what we need for every moment of our day. Help us as individuals to know you personally, to know you as you are, to know your character, your goodness, your wisdom. And then to go from knowing who you are to knowing what you have promised. And to taking those promises to heart, personalizing them as they are supposed to be personalized. And then, Father, I pray that as we see who you are and we see what you've promised, we would remind ourselves of the thousands of years of examples of these promises being fulfilled. And may we be a people who on a day-by-day basis, we simply walk with you. We love you. We do what is right. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.